Hi, I'm Marcus Dip Silas. And I'm Jaffif Chu. And you're listening to the Dip Chu Podcast. On the Dip Chu Podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. tuning into our podcast today. For today's conversation, we really wanted to listen to the life experience of a seasoned Christian, if you will, to try to step into the perspective of someone else. We are really excited that our friend Sarah Joy Sebastian has agreed to join us in conversation. Sarah Joy Sebastian grew up as a pastor's kid in Klang and has served in multiple roles in her current church, including worship leading. Sarah Joy is a wife, a full-time freelancer, and a stay-at-home mom to an ultra-resourceful toddler. She loves telling stories and would happily converse with random strangers. Her days are filled by coffee and YouTube-relaxing jazz music with coffee shop ambience playlists. Sarah is passionate about sharing her life experiences with people to help them know that they are not alone in their struggles and break the stigma of having lots of questions. We hope that this conversation encourages all who listen to be Christ-like in our compassion to those around us who are different as we seek to build healthy church communities. So Sarah, as we start today, Mm. um, I just want to hear a little bit about your background in church. So you grew up in a church home. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think your parents were pastors, right? Yeah. My dad was employed by church. And when I was born, he was working in a drug rehab center when... We were a little bit older. He was working in a church office. Um, and so in like a ministry sort of position. So mm. yeah, that was, that was my upbringing. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your experience then? It's in a, in a home that really saw ministry as a, a legitimate way to live, right? As a way to organize, arrange your life around. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that growing up? I think being a kid, like, it's just the only life you know. Um, And my parents being first-generation Christians from, you know, the 70s, the teaching that they were, like, taught was so much, like, you know, everything from the world is evil and bad. No secular music. My dad got rid of the TV, so I didn't really grow up with the TV. No cinemas. So all that kind of stuff, like, I think, I wouldn't say that like, I lived a very sheltered life, but to a certain like aspect, like, looking back, you would say it's a little bit sheltered. Growing up in in church and just uh, doing it just seemed normal until I was a little bit older. And then when, like, you see friends uh, from school mm-hmm. and all that, then it's like, oh, that's a different way to live. <laughs> <laughs> and then realizing like hey, everybody else gets to come to church if they feel like it or if you know they're not feeling well they get to stay home you know they're not the first ones there and the last ones out yeah and then as I got a little bit older like like New Year's Eve was always in church right friends would be like oh we get to watch the fireworks tonight or the, do the countdown and I'm like what is that I've never like even heard of it or know about it right because it's always watch night service realizing that 
there was there was more to life than church. I'm not sure if I'm missing out, like that kind of thing. But I never really questioned anything because I think even with school friends, they knew that I was a pastor's kid and so they wouldn't like really push me to join in any of their activities. Plus they knew my parents were super strict lah. <laughs> yeah, and then I didn't go to uni. Um, I went to Bible college. So then even more like my my shelteredness continued, right? Until I got a job outside in like in a secular environment, which was, I, be, I was a barista. For the first time, I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah, how would you say that... Um that that whole experience kind of shaped your your view of life and faith in general, but also, like when I guess you were about to answer this, uh, when you were in the working world, did you feel like you were prepared to enter that world or? No, for sure not. Like, definitely felt super like culture shock. I think the first biggest thing was that people are not yeah. all nice <laughs> there's a church nice right like you never realize that people are not nice nice but you know you just yeah. it's just church yeah. nice but i think that was the first thing i realized like oh people are awful i struggled with that for a while because i think i, I would actually cry like thinking like why are people so awful and then of course wanting to try everything and that's when i got into a relationship with my now husband who at that time was not a Christian. For me, it was like, whoa, this is so like, he's such a different person to anyone I've ever known. I mean, thank God that he was a good guy and not a terrible person. But yeah, I I can see how it could have gone like terribly wrong, right? It was this sudden, like thrown into the real world kind of thing. So I, I guess I don't think that every pastor's kid would have this similar experience, but I didn't have any like, unchurched friends really growing up my whole world mm. was church 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 um yeah so I guess totally unprepared <laughs> and uh you are a mom of a toddler right yes I am a very active one so how is that like like you know being in church and participating in church when he was born uh was still 2019 so we, we were still like attending church. Uh, we managed to go to one conference. But I, I think it felt really different because for the first time I wasn't uh, serving and it was more like I was just attending. But then from the parents' room, it's such a different experience because like you're not, you can't just, immerse yourself like you know in the worship and in the whole thing because you've got this little baby to like look after so I think that was a bit of a struggle like sitting in church services and yeah I was kind of looking forward to when he could finally go to kids church right and then COVID decided to like interrupt all those plans he was seven months when we went into lockdown since then I think doing church with a toddler at home, even doing online church is such a struggle. Like we turn it on, but you know, running after the kid and we're sort of like half listening. If I really wanted to, to like tune into the message, it would have to be, I guess, after bedtime at night um, or while he naps. So yeah, I think in a way, I guess it just 
it's like catching what you can. <laughs> yeah, and I know that it's a season um, and it's not a, like a forever thing. But just like in this time, it just sometimes it feels really overwhelming and like even watching church online, it's like, why even bother, right? We have been having conversations, um, Jafeth and I, with a couple of, of guests in the last few weeks mm-hmm. um, about what church, doing church means, right? Um, you know, whether it's the Sunday participation previously in person and now, you know, logging on to watch something, right? Um, is that church, you know, if you miss that, does that mean that you have missed the opportunity to do mm. church for the week, right? Or as you said, you know, you're chasing after a toddler now. So then you watch later. Does that mean you didn't do church? You know, like, are there yeah. some of those questions or thoughts that you have had, you know, in this time or realizations that you've come to, especially since being a mother um, of a baby, going to church and realizing that it's not really... I mean, there's kids' church and then there's adult church, but it's the way that we have organized or the way that we have chosen as Christians to organize our services. It's not really organized around... Um, I mean, it has a specific target audience in mind, right? It, it's it's a program in a sense, mm. Sunday program. But then there are some people who are always kind of caught out of the margins. So are they doing church by virtue of being present or you know like what are some of your thoughts on that? yeah i think when we were actually attending like physical services it felt really strange because for most of my life i was always like involved in something and that for me was like the the whole church like you know experience for me even when i was sort of in and out of church for i think a year or two still attend services here and there but I'd always also end up like doing something also. My involvement or my service was that church experience. And then after becoming a mom, like just sitting in the parents' room and looking after my baby, then it felt like, wow, this is so weird. Like I didn't feel like I was a part of anything. Yeah, I think at the early days of being in lockdown also felt like, wow, this is so overwhelming. You know, I'm not really even attending church. Am I even a Christian? Like all these kind of things. But I think lately, the community aspect of it, especially connect group, like that's been my point of contact. I actually really appreciate having a connect group. Like even if we only spend, say, an hour and a half together, just catching up and, and then praying with each other. I feel like that's so much more church than the Sunday Mm. service and I think doing church as a community has been my church experience now like Mm. and also we have like this mom group chat I also feel like that is such a community thing like to have moms who support each other and and you know Mm. they they pray for you and with you when you're going through stuff realizing that people at the church like in a super practical way lah you know it doesn't have to be this like we meet together and we pray and speak in tongues for two hours but just being um being the hands and feet of jesus i guess i think in the last few months like that's been my revelation prior to that i think i was actually like really questioning like how christian am i even anymore um and even if Mm. church does meet again 
which our church did, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm even ready to like go back to physical church anytime soon. <laughs> It's an interesting question too because you know I've been I've been giving this some thought right of um especially in this time then we that that Christians cannot gather and then we hear about you know whether it's in the US or in the UK or even I've seen it in some fringes in Malaysia but this sense of you know uh, or this narrative that um the governments of the world are against Christians and therefore COVID is being used to suppress Christian worship and we need to fight to regather, right? I mean, there's such a huge movement in the US of let us worship and and, and a lot mm. of them are, are charismatics and evangelicals and people that we probably associate with at one point or another. But this idea of of gathering together, it's not a specifically Christian idea. And I think even more so Mm. the word that's used for church that Paul uses in uh, the New Testament, um, ecclesia, right? Um, It's it's a, ek is to to come out or going out. So it's this idea of being called out. Um, But ecclesia was used not for Christians in that time. It was used to talk about guilds, right? So you had a, a skilled, like a carpenter's guild or a blacksmith's mm. guild, you know, uh, or maybe our understanding of unions or, or association, Lions Club today, right? Like that kind of idea. Like they were a gathering of people with the same purpose, same mission. And so, you know, New Testament authors actually borrow that word to talk about the gathering of those who follow Jesus as a, a similar mission, a similar purpose. And so it, it is human nature to want to be together. I mean, you don't just experience God in gatherings of huge sizes, mm. right? Yeah. But we want to gather in huge groups because it has this, there's this adrenaline exhilaration. Mm. But you find the same energy in concerts. You find mm. the same energy in like... um. Uh, Tony Robbins, uh, <laughs> self-help seminar. You find the same energy in like young living mm. conferences, you know, whatever. Like, a whole group of people who feel like they have the same mission, yeah. same goal. There is mm. an adrenaline rush of everyone being in the same room together. And you know that everyone is there for the same purpose or, you know, assume that everyone's there for the same purpose. So it's not a uniquely Christian idea, mm. but yet we have latched on to it and given spiritual meaning to it in a way that has now kind of become uh, almost indistinguishable or, or you cannot separate it from the idea of, of becoming a Christian means that you join a church gathering that meets every week and you carry out specific mm. duties in that gathering, whether it's corporate prayer, like you said, speaking in tongues together, corporate worship, right? Even the even the greeting each other, turning around, saying hi, like those are specific things we have associated with gathering. And in this time when you can't shake hands, mm. you can't mm. hug people, right? You can't even be in the same room. Mm. I think there's a definite sense of loss. But somehow we have, we're not able to process that loss. We, we, we have looked at other reasons as to why 
we can't gather and therefore some of these theories are coming up and if people are subscribing to a certain narrative and time theology mm. of you know everyone's going to become so uh, I mean there's going to be a cultural war and then there's going to be a religious war and soon there's going to be persecution and every Christian is going to be persecuted and so therefore now we need mm. to fight you know to meet and all of that mm. um, so definitely yeah I can I, I guess that, that that's my you know thing where I'm like oh like if we yeah like what you were saying you know the church is mm. practical right yes we are the church there is so much more opportunity for discipleship in smaller groups mm. yes I think people miss the like the the crescendo of meeting together you know mm-hmm. it's like this big emotions and feeling and then you're like lost in worship and and I guess because you're in like a sort of dark room and, you know, worship is happening, lifting your hands, like crying, everything feels like it's like just between you and God. But when you're doing it in a smaller environment, like in a house with the it's lights, right? It's super <laughs> awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even when we did, like I think meet um, in our house or in... A, other people's houses at the beginning like when when it was allowed um I found it really awkward and I just sort of uh used my son running around the house as an excuse to not do it if I if I really like if I'm really honest like I would miss the church gathering for that reason like I get to be like immersed in in worship and in the sermon and everything because it's like a live concert like you know it's the same as like screaming to, a, you know, a Britney Spears concert, whatever. Uh, it makes sense when you're in the arena, but if you're in your house screaming at your TV, then it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think lately, like the, the theme of connect groups is that like it connects other church, right? Um, and I think like that, is so much more biblical, mm-hmm. uh, right? In the Bible, they said they met house to house. And I don't think mm-hmm. that they had these huge worship sessions and, you know, preaching like super passionately. But I felt like mm-hmm. it's just like really, like like they say like they broke bread and they met together in houses, right? It's just that community mm-hmm. and that being there with each other um, mm-hmm. through the hard times, through the, like, you know, through the good times, that kind of thing. I guess you you can sort of take it super personally that the governments are trying to stop Christians from meeting, much like how the government has like a special agenda against uh, alcohol in Malaysia, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're using COVID as an excuse to stop people from consuming alcohol. I guess if you really really wanted to twist it, then yes, it could feel like, yeah, the government's trying to stop us and persecute Christians. But honestly, every other religion can't meet as well. Like in Australia, they say, oh yeah, they're banning us from singing. But I guess, uh, I don't think any other religions really meet and sing. So mm. that's why it's not a big deal for anyone else. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's quite true. Yeah, some of the rules are Christian-specific because um, we do it. <laughs> I mean, it might just be like, okay, you can't gather yeah. in, a, in a large gathering and sing, 
right? Which also yeah. covers concerts yeah. and all these other things, correct? But somehow the Christians choirs. are just like, <laughs> they hate us and trying to ruin our lives. Anything history has shown us that hardship and persecution has actually strengthened the church. It's, it has forced the church to mature, to to change their way of doing things and it's actually forced the church to grow uh, in different ways. So I, I think it's a good thing that we are all kind of experiencing this kind of like shaking, right? Where yeah. Our, all of a sudden our routines are changed, right? You know, and, and, you know, we can't go back to the big meetings and all the things that we used to do when we, you know, when we could meet in physical church, right? Yeah. So bringing this down, you know, to your experience again, um, as a mom, as seeing how, you know, you used to be very involved in church, serving and, and everything. Uh, but now you're a mom, you have a toddler and you are pretty much stuck at home. How would it be helpful you know, um, uh, for parents of toddlers like yourself, you know, uh, when it comes to discipleship, you know, or when it comes to church, when it comes to community, uh, in the midst of like, the current situation? I think for me, uh, I think I was saying just now, like we have a group chat of moms, right? Um, mm. We check, like they're all from church and just having that has been, I feel like it's been a lifeline, you know? Um, wow. And we started this group when I was pregnant because like I would talk to different moms and mm. I was like, hey, we're all pregnant together. And I mean, and then a the few who were already like mums. Um, like, why don't we just like start a group and then we can like just all talk there, you know? And mm. because at the end of the day, the mum experience is unique, but also it, it's, you know, there's a lot of things where you can really just like learn from each other, right? Um, mm. And I'm sure the same with like dads. Yeah, so we started this group chat and it just grew and grew and grew, right? Uh, mm. And just having this community has been such um, a blessing, I would say. Um, mm. Even though it's not like, oh yeah, every day we share like devotions or anything. We, we don't. But it's just knowing mm. that I have a community of people who are going to like pray for me um, mm. if I need it. And also to like, hey, you know, just hang in there you know things are going to get better uh and mm. just encourage each other especially in the midst of this like pandemic like sharing experiences yeah. sharing um things you practical things you can do with your kids uh and just i think having that is is so important especially with like the church culture like having parents who understand what it's like to be parents to kids it definitely helps lah, you know. It's more like in the practical ways, like how can the Bible encourage you in your journey? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, like like it really is about coming back to the to the basics, right? You know, um of having um certain needs met, right? And we are, in a sense the pandemic has forced the church to or force maybe our idea of what church is supposed to be to be kind of like stripped down, you know? It's like, hey, you know, maybe we don't need all this other uh, extravagant stuff, right? But we need our basic needs met, right? And so, yeah, 
like I'm so happy to hear about even your um like the WhatsApp group that you have, you know, where you guys support each other, you guys encourage each other, you know, uh, in in very real and practical ways, right? Like you were saying. I really think people crave that and they go to church to find that. Mm. But then uh, oftentimes we're just met with like, rah, 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 rah. And then, okay, bye mm. everybody, see you next week, right? Um, mm. And I think the pandemic has sort of forced us to really like, what do we really need as human beings? Like the most basic things that we need is community, right? Of course, sunlight and exercise and food. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, I think that has been a recurring, just a recurring message. Like in general, when you see, even on social media and everything, Mm. people just encouraging each other to like, to touch base with someone, you know, like, of course Mm. they, they call it mental health. But at the end of the day, it's connectivity with human beings. Like, that is what keeps you sane. Um, And Mm. I think that as a Christian, it's meeting with each other and however it may be online in person. But it's to meet your your basic needs of just being in connection. And I think in a secular environment, it's like, you know, talking about the stuff that you're going through. Uh, But in a Christian environment, it then means that you're bringing, like, God into that conversation. But at the end of the day, really, mm. it's just coming down to like, what is it that you're struggling with, right? And now having that God mm. element there. In our Connect studies, we've been talking about um, the plank in your eye. I mean, one of the studies where it was the best sort of accountability people that you can have are those people who own their, their mess, right? Mm. Um, and I think that's so, like, that's so practical because like, you can only have compassion for people when you really like realize the brokenness in your own life. Then you can have compassion. But if like you think that you're just having compassion for people, but you don't think that there's anything broken about you, uh, then that's not really compassion. Like you just, it's a very savior sort of mindset. I think I was watching that study. It kind of made me realize, wow, like all of us are just broken people amongst broken people like Mm. you know we all have our stuff that we're going through and I guess that what makes the beauty of the church is that we're just in our brokenness like helping each other through brokenness there's parts of me that was broken before and I'm now healed now I can help someone else who's broken in that area Mm. but that person probably has struggled with something that I'm currently struggling with and then in turn Mm. like we can help each other and like realizing each in our brokenness are able to help another person's brokenness. I think that was for me like such a mm. humbling moment. It wasn't so much eye-opening, but just humbling like, wow, I, as long as I own my brokenness, like then I can have more passion for someone. I think that's the... That's essentially the beauty of being human. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think about, like, the way you said it, I'm thinking about the verse that talks about the God of comfort is our God of comfort, right? He has comforted mm. us. And then we in turn comfort others. Yeah. Right? The ministry of reconciliation where Jesus reconciled us unto God and now we have become ministers of reconciliation. I think that's 2 Corinthians 5 where we now reconcile others to God, 
like this idea of being an ambassador for Christ, um, which we have infused with ideas of of pomp and prestige, right? Like mm. uh, you see on people's Facebook page, like servant of God, apostle of God, work at apostle of God, kingdom mm. of God, right? Like this idea of like dignity and space, you know, where we give ourselves those titles. Whereas you see the son of man came to serve, mm. right? Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, which we do in churches as, as a ceremony to show humility of sorts, Right. But literally, Jesus got naked and took on the role of a servant. I think more practical in our sense is, you know, in those days when Jesus did that, only the servant of the lowest degree would do that. So if we want to emulate that in some way for our members, or our, our leaders, mm. right, the, the act of washing feet is not enough, right? Like it should, it should go deeper than that. What is something that no one will do? Right? Change someone else's kid's diaper. I don't know. Clean someone else's, you know, tra- like it, it just it's unthinkable for 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 a person who is not a servant to do, right? And that is the position we've been called to. And so, like you are saying, that we are broken, we come to the acknowledgement of our brokenness, we come to the realization mm-hmm. of the 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 plank in our eyes before we call out the little speck in someone else's eye, right? Mm. And then through that, we are actually serving each other. We're actually serving the church. When you own your plank, you won't, you're not going to call people speck out because I've got stuff and I think it, it really mm. will help you want to not judge other people in in that way, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe if as Christians we were more forgiving and gracious about yeah. other people's sins and mistakes because we realize our own sin and mistake, yeah. then we would be less judgmental, right? Mm-hmm. We would extend the grace to others that we have extended to mm-hmm. ourselves. I remember one time my my dad was um, uh, kind of um, admonishing me <laughs> in a very Christian tone, right? Um and he was telling me that how he saw a pattern in my life where I was really hard on other people and then I was lenient on myself. So I took that to mean that, oh, now I got to be doubly hard on myself. Oh, no. And that took me on a whole journey mm. of like, you know, I, I had to scrutinize everything about me because someone has pointed this out. But now I'm coming to, I guess the pendulum is swinging more like to a normal position where, you know, I'm like, no, it's it's not this. I don't think my dad's intention was to tell me to judge myself as though mm. if I'm not pure and spotless, then I'm in no position to say anything. But I think what he was saying was to deal with others, others graciously. And as a pastor, mm. I see that in his life. He deals with others graciously when I don't think he should, when I think he mm. should be disciplining or, or saying something to a church member. Um mm. And he deals graciously. Then I'm like, why you do that? That's a sign of weakness. And then, you know, but it's not really, yeah. you know, it's extending that same grace. Um, but as a culture, I guess, in the church, mm. right, we are not known to be gracious. We are yeah. not known to extend that. This might not have been your experience, but I wanted to kind of ask you about, kind of bring it back to the earlier parts of our conversation where you mentioned that um, when you started working as a barista and then you met your now husband mm-hmm. and he was an unbeliever at that time. 
um, in getting into relationship with him, in talking about marriage and even getting married, um, what was your experience of maybe I would you know, use this word, I guess, judgment, you know, like or treatment, like what kind of treatment did you receive from cultural Christianity? Uh, uh, and whether that helped or hurt, you know, like, can you share a bit about that with us? Wow. I think what's good about me, sometimes I forget the emotions from the times. <laughs> it was such a challenging time for the beginning of our relationship. We just, I kept it a secret. I didn't tell anyone. My family didn't know. I think there were a couple of friends from church who did. Like people who I knew wouldn't judge me or ask me to break up with him or anything. And when I finally did tell my family, they were so upset. And my parents stopped talking to me for a while. Every time my mom would speak to me, she would just be like, no, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And yeah, it was like such a, it was such a battle. And eventually, I guess they started to accept that he was part of my life and he wasn't going anywhere. Before he proposed, he went to see my parents to ask for their blessing. And they kind of said, you need to become a Christian, lah, which I think pushed him further away from church than it would have brought him closer, like that condition. We got engaged anyways and decided to get married. Nonetheless, I was like, you know what? We're just going to do this. Um, and so we went, got registered for our ROM date. So even the two days before the ROM, again, my mom asked me, are you really going through with it? And I was like, yeah, are you coming? And then she was just like, mm. like, you know, no answer. On the day of the ROM, my, my parents did show up, but because they were stuck in a jam, they actually missed the signing. So they, they were there like as soon as we were done. And then after that, somehow their attitude towards our relationship sort of changed. Um, I guess because we were now married already, right? No choice, right? And they became a lot more friendly with my husband. And, and of course, now he was a family member. So it was such a weird experience for him. And I know that uh, it hurt him very deeply at that time. As time has gone along, our relationship as a family has improved so much more. And we did have a, a really last minute ceremony. But at that time, he was still not a Christian yet. So here I was marrying a non-Christian. Uh, but we did have a church ceremony. So that was family. In terms of church, like I think... There was that stigma that I was getting married to someone who's not a Christian. It's always going to be like, you know, praying for his salvation and all these kind of things. To be honest, if if I was a not Christian and all my spouse's friends talk about is praying that you would change, I think I would also feel a bit sad. You know, it's like no one accepts me for who I am. There is a condition attached to being married to you. I think that would have been the most hurtful thing for him in the whole like situation. And for me, like I think the struggle was just knowing that I would want him to be saved, but I'm not going to like push him into it. You know, I wanted him to have his own personal like experience with God. But yeah, it wasn't like I was like going to be like, oh no, you come to church or you know, or nothing at all. 
And so I think for me, like feeling that sort of, that battle, I think that was the biggest struggle lah. And knowing that, knowing that everyone's like, oh, you know, can't wait for him to become a Christian. It's like, yeah, but he's, he's my husband. Like, are you, like, do you, do you care about him as a Christian person or do you care about him as a person? Like, I think I also remember like having a conversation with my parents about um, like, why can't you accept him as a person that I love? Like, you know, as my parents, why can't you be happy for me? And I think there was that, that disconnect then, you know, like being parents and being pastors. Yeah. And I kept trying to think like as a normal family, if your child like marries someone, wouldn't you be happy anyways? Like, whether that person was, we have, I mean, say for the fact if they were a serial killer or something. But if say that person's flaw was just that they had one arm, would you still be happy for that? Your child, in this sense, it's like my person's flaw is that he's not a Christian. And that was it, you know? When you really like think about that, then it's like, wow, it's, she's so, so sad. But like if someone who like listens to my story and thinks, oh yeah, okay, then I can go and marry a non-Christian person. Uh, there's also the struggles and the challenges that we have to face like as a couple like in terms of our belief systems and um, and just how we navigate like our lives together like there's of course going to be a lot of struggle like there um, so yeah I get why people say marry like Christian you should marry Christian lah, because then it's just so much easier because like you're already on the same page but we've had to go through so much to be on a similar page. I wouldn't say we're hundred percent on the same page even now. Um, like I mean, of course, he's he's has since had his own encounter with God and got saved, and he he's on his own journey. Like, but still, I would say that it has been so challenging. Sometimes it makes it even more challenging that like he feels like he's not accepted by the people around yeah. us. Um, yeah, maybe it's not the experience that people have towards us. Maybe they don't realize mm. like that's how they come across, I guess. Um, mm. But obviously mm. to to us, that's how we would feel that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've, we, we were talking with someone, um, one of our guests uh, a couple of weeks ago about belonging before believing. And how, you know, most most Christian communities organize themselves based on belief. I mean, that's why we have, even in, in, in the US, the Baptist denomination, there are like many Baptists, right? There's the Southern Baptist, there's the Independent Baptist, there's the Missionary Baptist, there's the African American Baptist, like there's the, um, yeah, all these different Baptists, like Charismatic Baptists, you want to call them, whatever. Um, but because they are so organized around um, belief systems, right? Not just belief systems, but specific doctrine. There are specific things that that they associate with, and and those who don't who no longer belong to that fellowship. And that's great if theology, if theological purity was what church was trying to maintain, right? If there was a way even to maintain mm. theological purity, but I would contend that there's no way to maintain theological purity because 
you know, if, if, if for the sake of argument, theology is pure and you hand it to a human being who is impure, then it's no longer pure, right? The interpretation mm. or the, the propagation of it. Yeah, and so this idea of, of, you know, what if we organized our gatherings, our communities um, around belonging before we, we got people to, to agree to the beliefs that we actually were a community, like we actually embody what it means to be a community. And I think in this case, we could stand to learn from, you know, even your story and, and what you just shared with us. I feel that the church, I wouldn't say the more progressive people, uh, I think maybe in the US they would call them the liberals. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Those people who subscribe to being more welcoming of the everybody, no matter what your mm. belief systems are. I think at the end of the day, I was, just, I was talking to someone the other day and I said... I wish we were all more like Jesus because he ate with the sinners. He mm. hung out with prostitutes. Mm. Mm. And I don't think he was there trying to preach to them. Mm. I think he was mm. just there being himself. And mm. they would have felt the acceptance and the love from his person, like from just him being present without expecting them to acknowledge that he is the son of God. Like, and if we are really going to be followers of Jesus and be like Jesus, then maybe we need to be a lot more like that. It doesn't mean that we mm. condone what they're doing, but it doesn't mean that we can't be friends with them or accept them into our circle or let them come to church. And at the end of the day, it's their encounter with Jesus that's going to change them, not mm. us preaching theology or doctrine or anything. It's like at the end of the day, it's people encountering God for themselves. And I think God is very personal. God is the only one who knows what we're going through and how he has made us. And God is so personal to us. Like even my experience with mm. and versus your experience, like it's already mm. so vastly mm. different. And like at the end of the day, that that's really what it comes down to. Like whether or not you, um, your belief system or your the way you live your life may sound so wrong to someone else and might not be exactly what the church says is acceptable, but trying to force someone to conform to our standards and our theology and our ex explanation or our understanding of what Jesus was saying um, is just going to push people away, I feel. But mm. I think it has to come from, again, to that place of compassion and realizing that they're their crap um, may not be same with our crap but we have crap too <laughs> you know the one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on was was we don't you know we we, we say we're talking to to experts on faith right so we have had different people with different credentials like quote-unquote experts like who can really be an expert on something so subjective um but 
you know, in a way that like you are an expert of your own mm-hmm. life too, right? And, and your experiences. And we want to hear, you know, what people's experiences are because at the end of the day, we can talk about all these models and all these different things, right? But, you know, I, I think it's so important um, for our listeners and even for ourselves to be connected to real life stories because I think that's where, you know, the gospel is essentially alive, right? The gospel does not remain alive if we just have a Bible in the house, for one, if we just have pastors preaching sermons for another, right? The gospel is alive in the interactions that we have with others. And, you know, I'm on the side where I see theology and doctrine as very necessary. You know, it's so necessary for a life. But I have seen how it has been used to keep people in line it's been used for mm. gatekeeping and it's not been yeah. used for its true intents and purposes, which is help people know God yeah. better. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, right, that is where we get into the stories, you know, and hear mm. like what God is doing, right? How are we living community? How is Christ present in our lives? How is he present in our actions, in our speech, all these different things. So mm. we really appreciate having you. Um, share your story with us, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thankful for you. Our guest for the podcast today was Sarah Joy Sebastian. You can find ways to connect with Sarah Joy through our show notes. Tune in next week for more conversations like these on the Dip Chew podcast.